Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Boy, howdy. Here we are. Another edition of uh, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander and Bunker de France. Gee. And somebody binging me on my phone. And our special guest today, he is special. He is special. Uh, Doug Hawking. Hi, yeah, Doug. Debbie Gee, thinks howdy. he's special. And Debbie is here, Spe- too. Special med. <laughs> the, the reason... The reason well, what is the reason we're here? The, re- the reason, the reason that we're uh, have Doug here is we're our show topic today is the Gadsden Purchase, that little old purchase that brought that land south I, of the heat. I thought we were doing the Gadsden Purchase, and that's why he was here. He's going to buy us. He's going to buy it for us. You're going to buy the purchase. Yeah, going to purchase the purchase. Yeah. Can Doug, I get the original price? You, uh, certainly. <laughs> certainly. Ten million. Ten mil. Yeah. yeah and, <laughs> Could have been 50. And bring your dog around. We'll give him a bonus, too. Sure. Um, <laughs> it, 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 so, basically, that's what we're going to talk about. Doug has uh, written a lot of um, historical books. And, they are historical. And, and not, 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 yes, they're hysterical, but oh. also historical. <laughs> um, <laughs> anywho, we... Uh, He's a good historian. Yeah. Right? Anywho, we uh, uh, wanted to have him here because he knows, he knows his stuff. And he's fun. Oh, he's, yeah. He also knows his stuff. That's too. right. So... All right. Um, let's make sure that we are, in fact, doing. Yeah, we're on the. We're where we're supposed to be here. Well, you wanted to uh, mention a fact that I a do. friend of ours has been honored. I do, and it's it's very important filler. It is. Uh, our own Neil Summers. He's been recognized for his work as a stuntman, an actor, Western memorabilia collector, writer, all around great guy. <laughs> Uh, he was honored uh, today, the 11th, and that happened at noontime at Apache Land up in Apache Junction, Arizona. He got his boot prints in cement. I hope he got a lunch, too. And that's Jeez, not what when you they s- do that in New York. It doesn't come out well. Well, it, that's <laughs> see, that's not what he, when I said he had his boot print in cement. That's not the he didn't say it, what Bunker said the first time was. Hope it was deep enough. <laughs> well, you know, this is the you know. You glad that you mentioned New York, you know, because they've tried that here. Only trouble is when you dump the body in the in the Santa Cruz River, it takes it can take days, and that whimpering and crying it gets annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you have to watch out for the uh, the, uh, the notorious sand trout, sand trout, and sand sharks, and yeah. God knows what else. Anyway, uh, you got anything else you want to throw out? There? No, I'd just like to throw in there. I'm really happy and tickled to death that uh, Neil was recognized. Uh, in fact, he deserves a lot more recognition as not just as a stuntman and actor, but as a writer. He has written some really fine books yep. on Western movies, yep. photos. Uh, I have the honor of contributing or shooting some of the photos in his early stuff mm-hmm. because we used to stock these actors on the set. <laughs> and some of them you had to stock, like Frank Sinatra. It was like. We didn't know we were going to accomplish our mission. Or be alive at the end of the well, day. Well, yeah, but we, but we did. We did. Get none your boots of, and cement. None of them escaped. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Uh, the Gadsden Purchase, that's what we're talking about today. It's, a, it's an important historical footnote, as most historical footnotes are, and it is important for a number of reasons. First, it established uh, the current border between the United States and Mexico, and it mostly resolved border disputes arising from the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. Well, I said it mostly did. Well, well it, and now, it was really the Gadsden repurchase and because now, we and, already owned it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's ro- let's roll well, off on that. Then. In Mexico, it was known as Vinta de la Mesilla. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, even to this day, there's a lot of Hispanos down in Mexico that are resentful of that, and they think it was stolen. Uh, by the way, this happened, uh, it was finalized December 30 of 1853. That was when the, the paperwork was signed. The treaty actually went into effect in, uh, I think, June of the following year, mm-hmm. once right. all the paperwork and whatnot had gone in. 
Santa Ana, that guy, he... I think, how could you write a history of Mexico uh, without him? I don't know. He was he was president for life seven times. Yeah. Which yeah, has got to be some kind of cat. If, he, if he'd made it two, two more times, they could have called him El Gato. Nine lives presidente. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Oh, man, that's that's pretty doggone good. Yeah. Well, let's see. Well, we, we They paid $10 million for it. Uh, and it was for 29,670 square miles. Right. That we already owned. Which, yeah, well... Well, when Bartlett got out there negotiating with Conde uh, on the Treaty of Guadalupe mm-hmm. and Algo, they found out that the map that they were using was inaccurate. Very <laughs> so. Yeah. And El Paso was 110 miles east. East of where they had it. West of where they had it, right? And 40 miles south south of where they had it. And so Conde looked at Bartlett and he said, well, you know, I'll give you the 110 if you give me the 40. Yeah. Well, the thing was that the longitude and latitude was already stated. Yeah. And that should have... It shouldn't have been accurate. a problem, but it, ru- it ruined his career. Because everybody said, what are you doing? Give it away land. Yeah. Well, uh, that, that, <laughs> And all he did was establish that it was ours. That, that's, that's government bureaucracy working at its uh, finest. Hey, I'll tell you what. <laughs> this history, this Gadsden Purchase history and everything around it, leading up to it, during it, the aftermath... If you think you know history and you don't know this history, you don't know history because this is really a very key to well, the lead-up, the Mexican-American War, the Civil War, uh, the conflict between the North and the South. All of those elements are rampant in this story. Well, one of the elements uh, involved in that is the promise was to get a Southern Railroad established. And uh, that was supposed to appease the southern states. But, as we know... <laughs> well, <laughs> well, there yeah. were other forces at work. Yeah, dark forces. <laughs> and very, very much, you know, the abolitionist mentality really ruined, ruled the day back then. Mm-hmm. Well... It, co- it colored every, everything that happened politically. Kind of like some things do today. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it was the the North, <clears throat> excuse me, more populous, had more representation in the House. Mm-hmm. The House was where all spending bills came mm-hmm. from. Right. The South had a plantation mentality. The plantations were kind of self-contained. Mm-hmm. And they had an agent over in England. So they'd ship cotton to England, and the agent would buy things for them. And so the South, you know, didn't grow except as plantations. Meanwhile, in the North, they're building roads and railroads and factories, and they're taking in all these immigrants. And all the benefits are going to the North. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the South, which is sending out cotton and, and shipping stuff in from Britain, is paying import duties mm-hmm. out the yin gig. Yeah. And they're paying for it all to improve the North. Yeah. No wonder they were pissed. Yeah. I mean, geez. Well, you know, and, and I mean, the North <laughs> did everything they could to hinder the South, you know, like the expansion of the railroad. Of course. Because also, what is it, the... The isthmus down there to Wapatpec or whatever it was. Yeah, that, that was supposed to be a, a pass-through uh, pre-Panama Canal type. Yeah, thing. it was a railroad, and there was a what made it hard in the South was there was a large portion of Southerners that said we don't need a railroad down through there. It'd be shorter and cheaper to build a railroad down there. And uh, but you know this is speaking of railroad building. This is one of the amazing things I found out about Gadsden, his history. Mm-hmm. Is that very, very? He, he really takes off when he goes to California, gets involved with big money investors. And part of the thing with the railroad, one of the reasons he wanted, because they, when the, California came into the Union, it came in as a free state, mm-hmm. non slaves. That's right. And the, the, Southern, the South had really been lobbying hard yes. for it to be a slave state. Yes. So from. For about the next 10 years or so, he lobbied very hard to get California split in two mm-hmm. to northern Baja and Alta, mm-hmm. Alta and Baja, uh, 
and the South would be a slave state, and part of his uh, package was they would build a railroad with slave labor, which you know how that went over in the North, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, who was this guy Gadsden? James Gadsden, uh, he was uh, sent to Mexico as an ambassador, a former military officer. He was an aide to uh, General Andy Jackson and uh, the past president of the South Carolina Railroad Company. So he had some ideas about railroads. And he was a, a good friend of uh, then Secretary of War Jeff Davis. Who was really very powerful for he the was. Southern Railroad. He, yes, yeah. And plus the Southern Railroad route, the I, uh, well, the 32nd degree corridor, mm. which we know today as the mm. I-10 corridor, mm -hmm. was the first place south of South Pass in Wyoming, where you had all the low passes mm -hmm. through the uh, through the mountains to get from the Rio Grande out to California, uh, and South Pass. I, I don't know if you've ever been up there and looked at their roads. Mm -hmm. They got all these big signs and flashers and things that just closed during blizzards. Yeah, <laughs> right this time of year, try to get through it. Yeah. That's it. Well, you know, Gaston was born in 1788, died in 1858. He was a Yale graduate, so he was no dummy. Had good thing. Uh, he was an engineer with the U.S. Army uh, in 1812. In 1812, that's when he was joined. Uh, in 1820, he was responsible for the establishment of mil this will be interesting to you, Harry, mm -hmm. for military posts in Florida, supervised removal of the Seminole Indians to southern uh, Florida. 1823, negotiated treaty for removal of Seminole to the <laughs> west. Uh, 1832, served uh, in war that followed the refusal of the Sem some of the Seminoles to go through. So, I mean... That'd just be his, Seminole War One and Two. Yeah. yeah. And primarily the Second War was the one he had more Yeah, after. that that's the one that uh, really... Osceola. And that, yeah, that's that's the one that really pissed off the uh, the people down there. Yeah. Uh, there was a... And I, the name escapes me right now, but um, it is said that it was a, a massive Indian massacre of, U, of U.S. troops and uh, Dave, Davis is the name that sticks with me, but uh, all but two of the Yankees were killed. Yeah, but it wasn't really an Indian um, massacre because it was, a it was a battle, and the military, the U.S. Army, took out all kinds of Seminole, and and the army had so much trouble in trying to figure out where the devil they were. Because, well, they were good. I mean, it was their native country, right? So the Everglades now. You take a horse through the Everglades <laughs> once, right? Uh, and if that horse is wearing shoes like military horses were, that horse, poor horse, get get bogged down big time. Seminoles did not shoe their horses, and so that allowed them to scamper away very quickly. And, and they used dugouts, and they mm -hmm. knew how to move through that country. Well, a man and the, on and foot there was, was there are there are still. Descendants uh, oh, yeah. of the tribe living in the Everglades, uh, and I, I met one when I was in Florida. I went when I went to uh, work for the state there as a park ranger. Went to uh, uh, Ranger Academy, and, and one of our instructors was a uh, a Seminole. And my God, he was an interesting guy. Wow, <laughs> wow, really interesting. It was the most expensive Indian war as well. It cost over twenty million dollars. Yeah, and they didn't get squat out of no. the deal. No. no, in fact, they never surrendered. They no. never made a treaty. No, no. Well, you know, it's that's like a lot of the Indian tribes never really surrendered, but they they signed treaties that was never really kept, which ended up screwing them. Well, name a treaty that has been kept. <laughs> name one. That's what I'm saying. Name a treaty. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't. Th I can't think of one that uh, has been enforced uh, easily. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, we'll just take just take uh, Cochise for instance with Bascom. He Bascom invites him over for dinner. It didn't work out that way. <laughs> so, would it be safe to say then that the whole idea behind this uh, purchase was for a railroad? That, oh, absolutely. absolutely. We needed that route. And that and the other thing was that after the Mexican War, the Mexican government actually thought that the United States was going to take over the whole country, and they knew they could do nothing about it. Mm -hmm. And 
one of the things that stopped it again was the basically the northerners but also the south is that because mexico was a catholic country mm-hmm. and because it was very poor and it, the, the mass majority of its population was uneducated they were afraid of assimilating a catholic population more than anything else mm-hmm. and because they thought that would dilute the gene pool or something <laughs> Well. Just that little strip of land. Just that little and, strip you know, of land. Man. What's interesting, too, is that when, uh, when Pierce sent Gadsden out to negotiate, he actually had a budget of $50 million, and uh, Pierce wanted him to accumulate as much land as possible. For that 50 And he ended up with, when you look at what he could have got and what he ended up with, he ended up with a smidgen, but at a very cheap price. But it also was the end of Santa Ana's career because Mexico so resented him <clears throat> giving that away or selling it off mm-hmm. that uh, that was, you know, yeah. And that was right at the beginning of the revolutionary period, too. It's a bad time to make bad decisions. <laughs> well, it is that uh, time right now to make, make a, a good decision. Make a good decision. Okay. And that would be to run our uh, sponsors, uh, messages from our sponsors. And one of our, our brand new sponsor here is the White Stallion Ranch, <laughs> just north of uh, Tucson. And uh, you'll hear some cowboy guy and some announcer guy talk about it right after these very important messages. Do stay tuned. <laughs> cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net.
you can't beat the music of uh, the one called Johnny Bond, huh? Oh, Johnny Bond. Man, he played with all, all of the big guys back in his day. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, welcome back to Emil Francie's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander and Bunker de France. Our guest is Doc Hawking, Western Writers of America author, historian. Prize and, winner. And a prize Yeah, by God, congratulations. Yeah, tell us about life. your recent uh, glories and prizes and medals and new chingaderos. Black <laughs> Legend, the book that tells you what really happened with Lieutenant Bascom. Mm-hmm. Uh, got uh, the Will Rogers Medallion in silver. Wow. And was a finalist for the New Mexico Arizona Book Awards. Now that's in history. big. Yeah, well, it, it is when you consider they had 1,520 entries, of which 25% were in history. Yeah. So I was one of the top ones mm-hmm. out of 260. Mm-hmm. So that, mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt pretty good. That's good. You think? Yeah. 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 And that coupled with the rest of the honors that you've gotten over the years with other other books. Yeah, this guy's famous, Bunker. Well, you know, hey, I'm impressed. <laughs> no, you forgot the in. Oh yeah, yeah. Infamous. The one. Inf- infamous. I said he's famous. In- infamous. He says he's infamous. Infamous. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if he wants to be former he can be informal <laughs> And today's guest host, Foster Brooks. Uh, <coughs> that's Bunker at uh, uh, Voices of the West at gmail.com. All right. You know, one of the things I did for this, it shows you how dedicated I am. I actually went down, got found a copy of the purchase itself, the Articles of the Treaty, read it. It's, it's a short one, which is thankful. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, and it's also very clear, which is amazing with so many government documents, with the whereases, what fors, and if withs. But uh, I'm going to couple hit on a couple of the articles that are in there. Article three of the treaty stipulated that the U.S. will pay Mexico seven million dollars in New York City, the remaining three million as soon as the boundary is survived, surveyed marked and established. Article 4 establishes free and uninterrupted passage through the Gulf of California and up to Rio Colorado for U.S. citizens and vessels, but not by land. And you know, no. and we forget about that part in our history that the Colorado played, and that it was a water course and not a dust bowl like it is today. Well, yeah, and I mean, they took paddle wheel boats up, yeah. the, up the Colorado as far, basically, as Ehrenberg. where the dam is today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. all beyond Ehrenberg. Yes, yeah. yes. Ehrenberg was, there was, was a major stopping point for them. You know, when I was a little kid, my, my grandmother did a world tour. Uh, she visited China. I think she started the Boxer Rebellion, but uh, <laughs> you had to know my grandmother to understand. But uh, sounds like I hung out with my parents. <laughs> and she she came through here, and she was telling us that she went to the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And we got a picture of her mounted on a mule, you know. And she oh, says, cool. "And I went there by paddle wheel boat." <laughs> and we go, "Yeah, right, sure." And you know, then it's only in in the last. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and also Article Eight authorized U.S. mail and citizens use of railroad in Isthmus of Tijuana, Tepec, mm-hmm. and that's that again is part of that history of the Gadsden that is not taught or even spoken about, and it plays a major portion. Yeah, and and oh, the funny thing there is that with that with they had a treaty. And 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 also an American businessman had a contract with with Mexico down or not Mexico I think it was Honduras had a treaty with them, and they were establishing American colonies along the route, mm-hmm. and they decided they didn't like it and just said hey, no more treaty no more you know. Well, we we certainly gave them reason. I mean, when you think of all the filibusters that mm-hmm. went through the oh. Gadsden Purchase and elsewhere, a lot of these guys come in from the south. Mm-hmm. Let's go down and take another chunk of Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's... And, you know, you know, people don't think about it, but that's also a way of taking a chunk from the south and moving north. Because the you know, the manifest destiny, the that whole mentality 
Well, the filibusters themselves, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what's his name, Walker, into, into Baja. Uh, seven times he went to prison for filibustering, <laughs> invading another country. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you get his old army, and say, okay, let's go invade. Let's go. Let's invade Guatemala. You know. Uh, uh, what are you doing today? Uh, we're going to go invade a country. <laughs> they were like modern day pirates, sure. Right? <laughs> What's wrong with that? So Somalian pirates make give us the yeah, bad names. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh golly! Well, this was a pretty very. Uh, uh, a very important uh, purchase. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. Uh, pretty much. Uh, well, yeah, there's, there's also I want to recommend, and I recommend this to Doug heartily, and to anybody that's really interested in this. There's a, uh, and you can find it at the uh, archives up at the Tucson Library downtown. It's Memoirs of the Proposed Territory of Arizona by Sylvester Moray, USA Delegate Elect. And what it was is almost like a chamber of commerce describing the different regions, the towns, the people, mm-hmm. uh, crops, uh, mining, and the activity. You know, I've come to the conclusion from just doing research that <clears throat> as sparsely uh, populated as Arizona was, it had periods where it wasn't sparsely populated. You know, the early Spaniards, when they came in, they came in in force, and there was no opposition because basically they they uh, were paying the Apaches to leave them alone, and they were establishing some of the big land grants that, you know, that we're familiar with in this part of the state. I mean, you know, the San Rafael Valley is a prime example. Baba Bocleary over in there, you know, all over the place. And these places were like the stat, the California or the Mexican estancias, they were big. Mm-hmm. They had their own. They were self-sustained. They had their own populations, and there was more people and more stuff and livestock going on than we actually realized. I can see where after they were after they were driven out and left when Mexico came over, I can see where the vast number of horses and cattle went. They went to cooking pots in the on the, on the Apache. Apache villages. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's. <clears throat> uh, I I don't know where all of the markers are located to um, show this, but I know there is one down in the Nogales area, and I use that widely. Um, one of our friends, Sally Reichart, and and uh, her hubby Bryce, and a couple of their motorcycle buds, uh, did a dirt bike trip to one of the markers. And uh, apparently it was in, she sent me pictures, and apparently it was in, it's in pretty terrible condition for a marker. Um, and I imagine that people are come across that and say, what's this? <laughs> what's this mean? You know, every now and then you find, you, sometimes when you're out, you find this little stone set in the ground with a bunch of numbers and arrows and whatnot. It's a geostone, and that's uh. it's to uh, denote Longitude, latitude, type of thing. That was what that was, that was what the uh, surveyors did. Yeah. Mexican, Spanish, and yeah. American. Yeah. But but this this is an actual marker. Yeah. Uh, marker. Yeah. yeah. And, but well, it's you, in really sad condition. Well, here's some interesting uh, goodies from uh, from the uh, memoir. The mission San Javier de Bach. It was magnificently ornamented with. $40,000 worth of solid silver adorning the altar. 40000 solid silver. You know what that would be in modern-day dollars? A buttload. Yeah. That, would be, that would be probably about... And do you know what happened to it? Yeah, you know, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody does. It's in somebody's pocket somewhere. Well, mm-hmm. it went to Santa Fe. Do you, do you know? Went to Santa Fe? Went to Santa Fe. The oh, um, So they moved, the church moved it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember his name. Lamey's son. Oh, Lamey? Not Lamey, but his, the, the oh, his number the two sub- man. The sub-bishop. Went out here uh, on tour, and he, he got to San Xavier del Bach, and they pulled all this silver out and showed it to him. And all Arizona silver, and he looked at it, and he said, that's the old style. 
give that to me and I'll send you the new type. Oh, the good stuff, yeah. <laughs> and, and they went up to Santa Fe and built that cathedral. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, here's another interesting thing. The, uh, there were more than 100 silver and gold mines uh, which were worked with great success. Uh, it's supposedly, supposedly this is that I think would be disputable. Hundreds of thousands of cattle and horses at San Bernardino uh, were reported by Jesu- the Jesuit survey around 1687. Yeah. and that's 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 pretty damn impressive. And they were finding, you know, almost pure native silver coming out of the ground back then. Mm-hmm. Because and you, and Maori now, there's an interesting guy. Yeah. Maori was an artillery officer. Mm-hmm. He was assigned to Utah. Mm-hmm. And he uh, is supposed to have seduced the daughter-in-law of Brigham Young. Ooh, that rascal. And they had to sneak him out of Utah. I wonder why. Very quickly. <laughs> and in yeah. punishment, he got assigned to Fort Yuma, which is how he got to Arizona, where he resigns his commission. Mm-hmm. And then he binds, buys the Maori mine. Uh, from Yule. Yeah. Uh, and in the Civil War, they take that, or the government takes that away from him, confiscated because he oh, gets southern, accused. Southern trash, yeah. Well, he gets accused. If I remember right, he was from Rhode Island, but he gets yeah, accused well, of supporting mm-hmm. the South. Yeah. And they take it away from him and then prove that the government can't even run a silver mine at a property, at a, at a profit. The the property that was uh, annexed, if you will, into uh, the U.S. territory, that line along the Gila River, that was the line during the Civil War of the... uh, Hildago. Yeah, anything north of the Gila was northern territory, and that uh, south of the Gila belonged to the Confederates. And... It was also the Mexican... Yeah. yeah. Same... I, I, this one website I'm looking at here it says uh, occupy much of the lands and gets and purchase uh, these territories would be admitted to the Union in 1912 they did not play a significant role in the Civil War um, yes and no yes and no so it all depends on the interpretation and the person the person's point of view in interpreting well you look at the march of the california column uh from uh somewhere in california i can't remember san francisco i think uh coming to the arizona territory and the confederates who were here albeit not a huge amount of confederates (laughs) people but those who were here catch wind of it they catch them they see them up at picacho pass and a little skirmish results in an annual reenactment is huge. Yeah, and we have an annual reenactment of the big battle of Picacho Peak. Well, in fact, it was not a battle. It didn't even, it warranted one page, if that, in the um, official compendium. <laughs> a of running Civil War. skirmish is what it was. Yeah, uh, what, three people died, two Union yeah. and one Confederate. And after that, the Confeds uh, boogied out of Tucson and headed to New Mexico, where yeah. they knew they would be safer, and, and eventually there, heading to Texas. And then there was the Battle of Gorietta, Gorietta mm-hmm. Pass, yeah. which really is, is probably the, the major battle in the it Southwest. It was, it was, yeah. Because it, you know, if if the if they had been successful, they would have marched into Colorado theoretically. Theoretically, yeah. Uh, really, the major battle was was uh, Valverde. That's true. Yeah. And yeah. by Glorietta Pass, the the Confederate forces reduced to about a third of what it was. Yeah. Uh, but it is arguably at Glorietta Pass that we won the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the whole Confederate plan had been invade Colorado, right? And then the Utah would, would right the gold fields. There were Southerners in Colorado, mm-hmm. and then Utah would join the Confederacy because they had just finished a war with the United States, yeah, the Mormon War, yeah, yeah. And and then they go into Southern Cali- California, and we'd have a transcontinental power power yeah. with, and they'd have specie mm-hmm. to pay for the war. And ports that the, the Utah Union bre- could Utah bread basket. That's it. Yeah. Sounds, like, sounds like a book in there for you. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever done alternate history? Uh, ever write alternate history? No, no, I haven't. But, uh, oh, yeah, just listen fun. to this show. You, you, yeah, it is, <laughs> it is alternate history. This is Abel Francie's Voices of the West. We're at that point where we have to do the bottom of the hour break. And... Uh, Hope you'll listen to our sponsors because they're doggone good people and they cool sponsor people. this program and we think you should like them anyway. So, with that, we'll be back right after these. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the U.S. SS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses. So they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. <laughs> Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or Movie Pass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, that's a wrap. My name is Neil Summers. I started my 53-year stunt profession on High Chaparral and Gunsmoke and a few other shows, and I'm still active, and uh, I want to thank Voices for the West for having me on. It's the Voices of the West. We are back on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France. Our guest, Doug Hawking. And, uh, of course, that is the theme to the High Chaparral. What season? That's the rock and roll version. Yeah, what season? <laughs> huh? What season? Western what? What season was that? 
I haven't got a clue. I, I, didn't, I don't even we recognize don't it. it. Yeah, <laughs> season four. You're the yeah. music guy. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just the dummy on the other side. And uh, Neil Summers uh, in there. We that was cool. We got to, uh, I got to meet Bunker's known Neil for a long time. I got to meet Neil at we're the High Chaparral reunion, and uh, that was the first friend I made in the picture business. Yeah, and so we need to have him on again sometime. We do, we do. So uh, anyway, we are talking about the Gadsden purchase. Here you on know, uh, this edition of Voices of the You West. mentioned Maori. Now, as I understand, he also had a little bit to do with the mapping, right? With Ehrenberg? Well, uh, yes, some, yeah. somewhat. You know, he, he well, was, like you said, he was an early uh, booster yeah. for the state. But, you know, Herman Ehrenberg has a really interesting and colorful life in itself. Uh he made the first detailed map of the Gadsden Purchase, was born in Persia, uh, fought in Texas Revolution, survived or survived a massacre of prisoners, uh, traveled the Oregon Trail, sailed to Hawaii, possibly Tahiti, involved in Mexican-American War, saw a gold rush or two, surveyed town site for Mineral City, after his murder in 1866, Michael Goldwater, Barry's granddad, uh, was instrumental in renaming the town Ehrenberg to honor his memory. And this, I thought, was interesting. He was actually stationed at the Alamo for a couple of months before the, uh, you know, the battle. Before the battle, yeah. If he hadn't. <laughs> if nobody would have mapped it, we wouldn't have known where the border is. Yeah, yeah. half the time we still don't know where it's at. Yeah. <laughs> hey, folks coming from the south, do. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. <laughs> very true. Very true. Well, okay. Let's see. What do we got here? I got something. Uh, okay, just mention uh, we mentioned Jefferson Davis earlier. Uh, he was a close personal friend of Gadsden's. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was ambas- uh, an ambassador to Mexico. Oh, no, you got me. I'm, yeah, pay no attention to me at this point. <laughs> I'm just gibberish. Let's see. Uh, Jeff Davis was the son-in-law of, um, oh, now the name's going to elude me, the General Scott. When General Winfield, Winfield Scott. The, Winfield Scott. The General-in-Chief of the Union Army. Yeah. And, you know, just. Yeah. Uh, it's also, let's see, he, he was uh a former military officer and aide to uh, Andrew Jackson and past pre- oh no I'm talking about Gadsden again former aide to Jackson <laughs> who, who are you talking past to? president of the Carolina <laughs> South Carolina Railroad he he had railroad in his blood oh yeah oh yeah and uh, where where else can we go with this I mean obviously there's a, a ton of issues uh, the politics of the day were. <laughs> Yeah, I think we talked about it at the start of the show and even before we went on that um, the mood in Washington, you ain't going to get no railroad down there. <laughs> yeah, seriously. They didn't even know. Yeah, they didn't have a clue. And then Buchanan comes into office and the, the Overland Mail makes the great Oxbow route, yeah. dipping down into Arkansas yeah. and Texas to get to San Francisco. <clears throat> Part of the reason for that is that it favors the South to go that way. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, you've got, uh, uh, yeah, Benton, uh, Senator from Missouri. Missouri is incredibly powerful. Yes. Yeah. They've got the Santa Fe Trail. Mm-hmm. And all the specie, since we didn't have a national bank, is coming in from Mexico mm-hmm. through Santa Fe to mm-hmm. Missouri. Mm-hmm. And Missouri is, you know, powerful. Like, you, you can't believe. And they want to keep it that way. So they want a railroad to go through Missouri. Mm-hmm. And that's what Fremont's out looking for, is the route that'll go yeah. from from Missouri to San Francisco. And one of these guys, I can't remember which one, was involved with, I think, the third Fremont expedition. But I can't remember which one it was. I'll write off hand. But, uh, you know, this is one of the interesting things, too, is that during this period, the, the way they, I mentioned earlier about the writing, uh, there was two different ways of writing about the frontier west. One was the 
Frontier Promotional Writing, which wrote about the possibilities uh, diminishing the horrors and hazards of the thing. And the other one was the Pioneer Reminiscence, which told about the horrors and the depredations and how miserable and how hard it was. And after a while, you try and back up some of those stories and you go, hmm. Both of them are impossible, you know. 200 people in the wagon train were wiped out by 10 Indians. Okay, that should have made the press somewhere, but it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. No. <laughs> you know, somebody made it up because they got they had a two, few drinks and they were trying to outline the guy that uh, had the last massacre. Bring well, the legend. It, it sold books. That was <laughs> yeah, the thing. There you, go. you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, ninety-two percent of the purchase was in Arizona. So that meant only eight percent was in New Mexico. Which actually, it wasn't in Arizona. It was in New Mexico territory. Because it became a part the of the... Ball, the whole ball of wax was called New Mexico Territory. Well, you know, the... I wish Joe was here. I, I said that <laughs> yesterday. Because we always argued about whether this was Arizona or New Mexico. And it states in the in the treaty that this property is ceded to the territory of New Mexico. No mention of the word Arizona. <laughs> no, no mention of Arizona. But of course, you know, New Mexico territory includes, well, Las Vegas, Nevada, which yeah. isn't there yet. I mean, the place called Las Vegas, yeah. the Meadows yeah. is there, yeah. but it includes that southern bit of yeah. of Nevada. Mm-hmm. It includes parts of southern Utah, uh, Utah, and, and Colorado. Colorado. Mm-hmm. So what becomes Durango, Alamosa, yeah. uh, all that up to the Arkansas River is. And the other thing too is mm-hmm. that people don't realize that with the uh, Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, Mexico gave up more than half of their territory. Oh gosh, yes. You know, I mean, this was major. But of course, you know, they populated. They had, nothing, they had nobody up there, but that was still <laughs> there, as you know. They had population at El Paso, uh, and then the next population. Well, you had some in the Mesilla Valley, and the next population, you've got the Hornada del Muerto, the Journey of the Dead, yep. where there's nobody, and then you get up around Socorro. And you've got a band 10 miles either side of the Rio Grande that is populated by Mexicans. Actually, by Spaniards. Well, depending on when you're talking about. Well, the early early settlers weren't Mexicans. They they were Indios and Spaniards. And I grew up... And after after a while, they became Mexicans. (laughs) But, you know, up on your part of the country, tell me if this is not true. If you were to go up into one of the little towns up there, you know... uh, and called called one of the locals a Mexican. You were in trouble because the first Big thing he says, "I'm a Spaniard and I'm going to shoot you." That's right. And that what they said was yeah, that they Maria. came directly from Spain. Yeah. And settled up there in the Rio Arriba, the, which is the upriver north yeah. of Santa Fe. And those people are very different than the Rio Abajo. Yeah. Uh, I've taken friends from the Arriba down to the Abajo, and they. I didn't know this was down here. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I know Arriba Abajo is, is a toast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll drink to that. Well, you know, I've got property up at Tia Maria. Well, do you really? Yeah, yeah. I inherited it from my stepdad, but it's mine now. Oh, well, so you weren't but it's there. Land, for, it's landlocked, though. You so. weren't there in '67 when we seceded from the Union. Yes, I was. You I were. Was down in, I was actually. I was down in Las Lunas. Uh huh. But but uh, Reyes Tiarina. Yeah, and you know what they, they talk about? You know these poor oppressed people whose land was stolen from them. There was a, a, a gentleman and his wife who had a little general store up there by the lake, uh-huh. and they'd had it for almost sixty years, beloved by everybody up there and the tourists. They murdered them because they were gringos. <laughs> they were their neighbors. Yes, and yeah, I was up in in Dulce at the time. Yeah which is about 40 miles west of, of Tierra Maria, and we were cut off from the rest of New Mexico. Yeah. But they didn't dare come on the reservation. Cause oh, they, no. Well, they weren't going to mess with the Apaches. Well, you know, and no, nobody messed with the Hickoria up there. No, Not no. even the state police. No, no. So if Hickoria gets, in, gets a little wild in Chama, they'll go, oh, Chief, we'll follow you back and make sure you make it home safe. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't arrest him. Didn't. Yeah. Yeah, well, make sure you get home safe. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about the uh, 
what the hell are we talking about? We were talking about the real, real. the Gadsden, yeah, yeah, the Gadsden person. That's, that's some. That's the repercussions. I know the the mind is suddenly uh, gone. How about the Revis land grant, which yes. claimed most of the yes. Gadsden purchase? Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. That that was they almost they almost pulled that one off. Well, let's talk about that after our commercial break. Okay, we've got our final one to do here on Amble Francie's Voices of the West. Uh, Bunker to France, Harry Alexander. Our guest is Doug Hawking. We'll be back with much more after this. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, five stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, Visit armyhistory.org. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911 Old Western Radio Theater every Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West. B.O.W. Radio I want to hear the wind blow over my campfire Brushing the smoke away Rolled in my blanket there by the campfire Waiting the break of day I want to see that open range, Johnny Bond here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Bunker to France here. Our guest is uh, Doug Hawking, Western Writers of America author. We are talking about uh, the Gadsden Purchase of 1853, and the reason we're talking about it, well, it's kind of important, and it's yeah. history. Oh, well, you know, and we, we got it. what brought it about was the fact that the 30th of last month was the anniversary of the, of the, of, you know, of the, of the signing, signing of, of that. Yeah, so, you know, we, and we were stumped for what to do. And that's what we do. <laughs> and the Senate messed with it for six months and completely weed, redrew the boundary. Mm-hmm. Gadsden, you know, he two straight lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Parallels and longitudes and latitudes. Uh, I don't know and what the Senate was thinking. <laughs> they made the boot heel of New yeah. Mexico and 
I don't think they were thinking anything much like today. <laughs> well, you know, what, they, what they do is you get, you get a ladybug drunk, put some ink on her, and let her on the map, and wherever she goes, that's the border. Ah, that's a, that's the, uh, the the signature of the chicken walking through a spilled inkwell. <laughs> well, I've got a little another interesting little well, piece Well, you do that, and then I want to hear about the Revis. Uh, okay. Well, uh, Article 2 of the tacit uh, purchase uh gave the U.S. the responsibility to pass and enforce laws forbidding Americans to purchase from Apaches livestock, captives, or property taken from Mexico. I'll be darned. Mm. How about that? We occasionally enforce that, like the last time, or the second to last time that Geronimo came in, Mm -hmm. he came up with a huge herd of cattle and horses from Mexico. Mm -hmm. And they said, what are you doing? Well, I just stole these. I don't want to be poor on the reservation. (laughs) They said, oh, we got to return those. Well, you know, that's one of the interesting things I learned about this, too, was that, you know, they're raiding into Mexico all the time. Well, part part of the process was they'd come back and sell... The cattle to the local ranchers. Oh yeah, and they they were still doing it after that. They were doing that up to the uh, Earp uh, Clanton thing. Hey, Cochise and County. Fast. Yeah, Cochise County was the reason that that we couldn't get into the union for That's so right. long. Yeah. That's right. They yeah. kept trying to enforce law and order mm-hmm. down there. Yeah, and was, and that was primarily yeah the cattle trade back and forth. You know, well, that, the Mexicans <laughs> were buying American cattle and Americans were buying Mexican cattle that was stolen from each other. That and, that and Bisbee was uh, <laughs> uh, way out of line, <laughs> frequently down in the Gulch. There, Rivas. Uh, that's the the land grant uh, scam, isn't it? Was of Arizona. Rivas uh, came up with an idea. He married a Mexican girl. Peralta convinced her that she was the heiress mm-hmm. to a land grant that included most of the Gadsden Purchase. And uh, I believe it. Yeah, well, <laughs> he went over and insinuated himself into monasteries in Spain and drew up yeah, documents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Creating this land grant, the actual old documents, yeah. and then he come back here and he told everybody, "Well, you got to pay me because I own all this land." And, he, uh, he he came that close. He did. They yeah. they, the they, dis- they discovered um, the forgery because the was it the ink that was the different in the, the uh, watermark on the, on the watermark on the parchment, right. yeah. And so, I mean that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was within a whisker, like you said. That was a good movie, too. Well, speaking of... Yeah, one of my movie. favorite actors. Yeah, oh, only Mr. Price. Mr. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Mr. Smooth. And it also, they did a good story of that on Death Valley Days, I believe. Or mm-hmm. Was it Death Valley Days or Saint We should Greg? do that sometimes. With the Rebus? Yeah, Baron of Arizona and Rebus. Mm-hmm. And well, you know, there's an interesting side is that the commemoratives of it, you know, the stamp, uh, that was issued in December 30th, 1930, 100 years later. It was a three-cent stamp. Can you imagine postage for three? I can't. I remember three-cent stamps. I remember three-cent stamps. That's what. That's about what it's still worth. <laughs> I remember uh, saving stamps as a S&H green Oh, S&H green stamps. Man, I went to one of those. Also, this is this is what I thought was interesting. The Gadsden Purchase Half Dollar Proposed Commemorative Coin. Cool. It is. It was. It was. It passed both houses of Congress in 1930, uh, but was vetoed by President Hoover. It was his first ever veto of a commemorative coin, and his very first veto as a president. Wow! Did he give a reason why he vetoed? Yes, because they said it. There was too many commemorative coins out there, and it was too easy to counterfeit, and and in and one. Politician and, and, and got up when they after the veto because they tried to override the veto and it was like only two people voted for it in, in the override vote. Uh-huh. So I mean he was defeated soundly. Hmm. But one of the guys got up there and he says, "Hey, you know I was trying to ride the the uh, subway and they wouldn't know the bus or whatever and they wouldn't take the coin because he the, the 
driver didn't recognize it. And another, another <laughs> senator on the other side of the aisle says, yes, and if you'll remember, I paid your fare because I was also on that same bus. <laughs> yeah, now try and spend a $2 bill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, they look at you like you're from Mars or something. So, uh, in the waning moments we have left, Doug, what have you got coming up? What if I, oh, well, I have to dream up something to write All right, about. I think I'm going to write about... The gas and purchase. No. <laughs> <laughs> four train robberies yeah. and four uh, stagecoach robberies down in Cochise County. Oh. We had some good ones. Yeah. Uh, one in 1895 mm-hmm. where they uh, went after the express... Uh, yeah. Express Safe, box. the mm-hmm. express box, right, and the train. And they had 80,000 pesos there, and they stacked the pesos there to stamp the explosion. Oh, my. <laughs> and blew the express car up yeah. and blew pesos all over the desert. And people were still finding them in the 1960s. Was that nice. the one up by Pantano? Uh, this was up by the, the Wilcox Playa. Okay, by yeah. We are out of time. We got any appearances that you're making in the not-too-distant future? I'll be in Silver City next weekend. All right. That's <laughs> it. Be there next That's week. it for this edition of Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. We appreciate you listening. Thank you, Doug Hawking. Bunker? Well, all I can say is if you can purchase a Gadsden, buy one. So long. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.